Are you looking to begin investing in Bitcoin? Do you even know what a Bitcoin is? Bill Guida has become very knowledgeable over his years investing in Bitcoin, and he's going to share with you all you need to know to get started. How you should be using your Roth IRA to invest and using the different tax saving strategies. In this episode, it's for beginners and for seasoned Bitcoin investors. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Show. Welcome, Bill, to the show. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your investing experience and what assets you're in today. Sure. Thanks again for having me. Uh, look, uh, I got involved in Bitcoin specifically. Uh, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2015. So that was a long time ago and got super interested through actually uh, the Ron Paul campaign. So a lot of people got involved in that space and it was kind of like uh, interest in gold originally, interest in precious metals and kind of getting involved with understanding quantitative easing that was happening in 20, uh, 2008, but also looking for something more exciting than gold. So Bitcoin was coming off of one of its uh, big bull markets in 2013. So it was a cool off period and it seemed like an appropriate time. I think it was moving sideways between like $200 and $400 for like two years. And the beginning of 2015, I pulled the trigger and, you know, the rest is kind of history. So what, what pull the trigger? What does pull the trigger mean? <laughs> <laughs> pull the trigger. Um, I used Coinbase, which was probably the easiest thing to get involved with crypto back then. Very simple. Connect your bank account and you were able to purchase Bitcoin for from there, learned about Ledger and some of the cold storage solutions that are out there and kind of taught myself. So I think like a lot of people out there, you began to kind of find people that are interested in crypto online and then you find a local community and then you kind of build off of that. Then you kind of teach yourself through YouTube teach yourself cold storage which I eventually did. I pulled all the Bitcoin off of Coinbase, moved it to cold storage. And from there, you're learning about, you know, key management, private keys, public keys, um, some of the other advanced wallets out there. So it's kind of this interesting snowball where you start off on a service like Coinbase or Gemini, and then you kind of learn about the risks that are that are present with holding your Bitcoin on an exchange. And then you pull it off. And from there, you learn about the altcoins. So I know you mentioned altcoins as well. What do you want to know about that? We'll get it. We'll get into them a little bit later. <laughs> how how will we stay on Bitcoin right now? And and, and sure. for our listeners, what exactly is Bitcoin? I mean, everyone is hearing things through the internet, but most people are unsure. Yeah. So very simply, the white paper explains it. Bitcoin is a peer to peer electronic cash system. Now, uh, a lot of people are arguing that it's not really that anymore, and I kind of side with them. Uh, Bitcoin is just a peer-to-peer -peer transfer of value. That's all it is. So it has a dollar amount, and that's created, uh, the price is created off of supply and demand, and people are trading it because, one, they find value in it. They believe that the financial system that we're living in currently is going to end at some point, and they view a finite peer-to-peer -peer transfer of value as something that could be speculative, and they want to get involved. But also it's like digital gold. That's pretty much how I look at it now. Like we're not going to be buying coffee with it. We're going to be holding it 
and it's going to be for a store of value and a hedge against whatever economic turmoil is ahead. So very simply, Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer transfer of value that is borderless and it allows anybody to control their wallet and control their currency without anybody being able to, you know, kind of control it like a bank would. Okay. So a bank has control of your bank account. You have control over your Bitcoin if you control your private keys. It's very simple. So when did, who originated, you know, or started Bitcoin and when? That's a great question. So uh, we don't know exactly who invented Bitcoin. We know that there's a, a name out there, Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi Nakamoto was the name that was originally on the Bitcoin forums. Back in the early day, the original white paper came out in 2009 and Bitcoin launched shortly thereafterwards. We believe that Bitcoin is was created by pro- probably a group of people, and this Satoshi Nakamoto character is probably just a forum title that's uh, communicating out to the public. So there's a lot of people that speculate as to who Satoshi Nakamoto is. I'm under the impression that it's probably somebody or a group of people that, one, are no longer involved in it, or have probably passed away at some point. So remember, this is over 10 years old now, so anything could have happened. But we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Very interesting. And is there a unlimited amount of supply or is this, you know, is there a top number? Yeah, so the way Bitcoin is set up currently, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin in circulation at any given time. New Bitcoin is released into the ecosystem through the process of mining. And we can go into that at some point, probably shortly, but there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. That's the biggest takeaway from here. So again, we don't know how much gold is out there in the world. We don't know how much silver is out there in the world. As it stands right now, the way the Bitcoin network is set up, there can only be 21 million Bitcoin. And as of right now, I think we're at what, 19 million total that have been mined currently. So, and of that 19 million that's out in the ecosystem, it's probably 5 million that are trapped in wallets that are never going to be able to be opened again. In the beginning, people were sending Bitcoin back and forth. They lost their private keys. They lost their hard drive and they screwed themselves of a fortune at some point. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So getting into the mining, you know, I think when most people think of miners, they think of like mining for gold. And uh, so how does mining apply to Bitcoin? So very simply, there's two people two parties. There's a transaction between both parties. I send Bitcoin to you, Joe. That is a transaction. That transaction is logged and miners, that transaction is logged in a block. Okay. Miners are using their computing power to process the transactions. Okay. And when there's more transactions, there's more uh, activity on the blockchain and the miners are getting rewarded for uh, processing the transactions on the blockchain. And for every block that's solved, the miners get rewarded with, with Bitcoin. So there's an incentive to keep the network going because you're constantly rewarding the miners with block, uh, Bitcoin. So very simply, I send you, Joe, a Bitcoin. That's a transaction. That transaction is logged in a block on the blockchain. It's verified through the mining process. And the miners that process that block the quickest are rewarded appropriately with, with Bitcoin. So that's how new Bitcoin is entered into the, the ecosystem. And that's how the blockchain continues to grow uh, even after 10 years. So 
there's incentive to keep the blockchain going because new Bitcoin is created through that process. What do you see as the importance of blockchains that are being created today? <laughs> so there's, there's public blockchains and there's private blockchains. The public blockchains obviously have more excitement around them. There's more energy. It's more in tune with the decentralized movement that we saw over the past few years. And then you have things like Hyperledger, you have things like Quorum, and uh, some of the more private blockchains, which are specifically used for like business purposes, internal communication between large entities, large corporations. I don't know where that's going to fit in, but I think at some point we'll see how they actually play out. But there's no doubt that the public blockchains, the decentralized blockchains are going to be far more exciting in the next few years. It seems like a lot of talk is always around the transparency of the transactions and data that can lie on these public blockchains. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? Or, you know, is it still trying to find its use case of where it's going to best be utilized? Yeah, I think that's a good observation. Like in the beginning, Bitcoin was this anonymous currency that was used on the internet. You know, fast forward five, six, seven years, and you've got companies, uh, even more recently, like Chainalysis, which is specifically targeting Bitcoin, Ethereum, even Monero transactions. And, you know, we're finding more and more that they're not so private. In fact, you can track them down, triangulate, you know, which, which miner mined the transactions, IP addresses associated with it. There, there's ways to, to become less private. And I think Bitcoin will become more popular as it becomes less private, believe it or not. So it's going to be more open to mainstream investors when there's not this kind of uh, dark smoke around it, that it's you know still the drug dealer's currency of choice, that kind of thing. So the other thing is, I think at some point there'll be an ETF for Bitcoin, but not until some of the privacy questions are finally answered. So that's just my thought. So I'm sure like everybody out there that comes across Bitcoin on the internet or their social posts, and they're curious, they probably listen to a podcast, they probably are still not sure because they may not be tech savvy. You know, what is the reason for somebody to get started in investing? So I forget exactly who said it, and it was probably on a podcast as well, but they said Bitcoin is like an option call on the future of the economic system. It's, it's a pretty interesting way to think about it. Like, could this thing fail miserably? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and some argue that it probably has. I believe that having a position in Bitcoin and in this new technology is going to be vital for the survival of uh, the middle class. And there's going to be a transfer of wealth between those who have Bitcoin and those who do not. And cryptic as that sounds, no pun intended, how as crazy as that sounds, I think we are beginning to see the next generation of the financial system grow. Like the idea of banks owning your identity, being able to shut off your currency, being able to control your spending, your withdrawal amounts, your deposits, that is going to be a thing of the past. So what banks, what role banks play in the future, I don't know. But you see this naturally happening with apps like Cash App and Venmo. Like, you can get direct deposit into these things now. There's not going to be this J.P. Morgan Chase. You walk in, and you, you know, you say hello to your bank teller, and you get your cash from your paycheck. Those days are gone. And I think with this generation, we're becoming far, far more comfortable 
with digital currencies and with things like Bitcoin, where the idea of controlling your own assets and controlling your financial well-being isn't so crazy. So I would say, look, the reason why you get involved in Bitcoin is to hedge against the chaos that's going to be occurring over the next 10 years with the quantitative easing, the printing of uh, assets by all world governments, and just the unknown. Right now, we know that Bitcoin is the future of the economic system in the world. It just hasn't been declared yet. That's what I would say. So yeah, why not have a piece of Bitcoin? So for the people that have held over the last 10 years, how have they profited? Oh, I mean, it's the best performing asset in history, certainly over the past 100 years or so. Um, and, and given the time frame of its existence, like we're talking about from 2013 to 20, even the end of 2017, like the return on investment, if you bought that dip after 2013, astronomical. Like you're talking about going from $200 upwards of $18,000, $19,000. Yeah, that was bubble territory, but you're making significant returns in, and if you zoom out, very short time frame. So uh, the people who hold do the best. The people who trade likely get killed. And that's true in any market, but especially a market that's so young like Bitcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies. Like, let's be honest, the exchanges are not regulated. The, the order books are not as thick as we may imagine. It depends on where you're trading. It depends on who's using the leverage, who's not. You don't want to trade these things. Like, trade at your own risk. Hold Bitcoin. It's a long-term speculative uh, investment, and you're going to do better. If you hold it for two to three years, chances are in the past two to three years, you're going to be up on your investment. If you're day trading this stuff, you're going to lose. It's a matter of uh, fact. Now, yeah, I think you mentioned cycles in that conversation. And uh, from all the news and everything we see in the market, Bitcoin has uh, a history to be volatile and go way up and go way down. And, you know, is there any certain events that may trigger this price action more than others? Yeah, that's a good point. So there's this ongoing theory that Bitcoin follows its halving. So the halving is every four years or approximately 210,000 blocks solved on the Bitcoin blockchain, the reward to miners gets cut in half. So 2016, the reward was 24 Bitcoin. And then it got cut down to 12 and a half. And then it just recently got cut down again to the 6.25. And that is kind of one of the things that keeps the excitement about Bitcoin. It's, you know, we know that there's a finite amount. We know that there's a controlled way that new Bitcoin gets entered into the ecosystem. So it's something that's predictable as well. So we've only got 10 years of information and graph to look at. But what we see is a trend around a year to a year and a half after each halving, where we see, you know, this minor capitulation, investor capitulation, we see some sort of bottom, which we did see again in March, coinciding with coronavirus and the traditional stock market drop. But then the news and the excitement begins, and the cycle continues. Uh, the halving excitement comes back up. You see CN, uh, CNBC, MSNBC, the news, Fox News, it's talking about Bitcoin again, which is the news cycle. But really fundamentally, you've got two things. You've got the actual blockchain and what happens on chain, with the halving, and then you've got kind of the news cycle, which is three to four months after that halving. So right now, we're 
post having for 2020 and we're beginning to see that hype cycle grow again so what we went from 3100 it dropped down to between 31 and 4000 uh, back in march with coronavirus then we're shot all the way up to almost 13,000 over this past month or so. That's very significant, and it has a lot to do with the having. People were baking that price in, but I think uh, you know the excitement, again, draw, drew a whole lot more investors into the ecosystem. So I expect that to continue over the next six to 18 months. Do you feel that this current cycle is going to follow somewhat of a similar pattern as the last couple? Yeah, I would say more or less. I hate the saying history rhymes or whatever that thing is. Yeah, but it, I think it's going to be different. I think it's going to take longer as well for us to see the returns that we're kind of expecting, the returns that we got in 2013 and the returns that we got in 2017. I don't know if we're going to hit that multiplier this time around. That may be you know, another having cycle 2024 but i would expect there to be some significant price action towards the middle of 2021 yeah so for those that are looking to you know take a position in bitcoin maybe you know instead of stocks you know what kind of allocation should somebody do or how should they look at it in regards to a dollar amount or percent of assets yeah so there's a lot of people saying oh dip your toe in one to two percent i think that's bullshit i think one if you're interested in something whether it's a stock whatever your financial product you're looking at you need to be very knowledgeable on it but you know don't dive in blindly you know only invest what you can afford to lose and we're not financial advisors this isn't financial advice but you need to be comfortable investing, you know, $25 a week, $50 a week, something like that. That's the way to get involved. Dollar cost average um, over a long term, and you're going to end up doing fine. You can set up automatic purchases on products like Gemini or um, Coinbase, which is great as well. So that's the easiest way to do it. Take a position, dollar cost average in, and kind of be there for the ride. Otherwise, you're never going to pick the the, the bottom and you're never going to sell at the top so you might as well just start accumulating currently and set it up for monthly and weekly buys that's all now with the previous having and the anticipation of bullish momentum we'll call it in the next year or two would a u.s recession you know derail that do you think I think so, actually, despite uh, what a lot of people are saying and, and despite what, uh, you know, this theory that it's non-correlated, I've since changed my position on that. So I think you can tell right now Bitcoin and the stock market are very much correlated. Like there's, there's, no, there's no denying it right now. So over the past year, it has been correlated. And if we go into a recession, we really hit some turmoil. People sell their assets that they're up on and people will pay their rent, pay their house, pay, feed their kids before they speculate on Bitcoin. So just like we saw with the big drop in the panic sell in all markets back in March, if we do see some sort of real severe economic turmoil, expect there to be some sell-offs in Bitcoin as well. What I'm more, the bull case for crypto and Bitcoin specifically is not a recession, but it's a currency crisis. And I think that is what we're actually looking for. You know, these apocalyptic Bitcoiners that troll on forums all day. I think that's really what they're salivating over. And 
we're actually headed towards that as well. So we're headed towards a financial crisis, we're headed towards a currency crisis, and we're headed towards a recession. What will hit first, I don't know, but they're all going to be connected. So the currency crisis will start with the dollar no longer being the reserve world, uh, currency. So oil will not be traded in the dollar anymore. And this will happen probably with a combination of China, Russia, and Latin American countries. But really from there, we're debasing the dollar currently with quantitative easing and inflation. And it's going to be internal factors and external that drive the dollar down. And people are going to be sick of having to spend money to keep it in their savings accounts, which we're beginning to see. There's going to be negative interest rates in the U.S. at some point. So the writing's on the wall. But yeah, it's it's not a pretty scene. Now, if someone wants to get started, where, where do you advise them to go to get started? Or you know, what uh, company provides the best services? Personally, Coinbase is the best place to buy Bitcoin. And that's going to probably catch a lot of flack out there. But the reason it's so simple is because they have a mobile app, they have first mover advantage, and their security is, is second to none. For beginners looking to purchase Bitcoin, looking to purchase uh, Ethereum, some of the other altcoins, it doesn't get any easier than a mobile app with Coinbase. So with a few clicks, you're able to connect to your bank account, you're relatively secure, and it's, there's really no better way to do it. You can set up automatic payments, you can or set up automatic recurring uh, buys, monthly, weekly, daily, and that's the way you dollar cost average with Coinbase. Now does Coinbase store your Bitcoin on their platform or what are the options? Yes, so they have a couple different services. They have a wallet service that they do own the private keys for and it's for novices who are looking to get exposure to bitcoin but they don't want the hassle of private keys extra passwords all that kind of stuff they have a non-custodial service as well which they're able to control your own password private keys whatever you want to call it and you're still able to buy through Bit, uh, coinbase sell through coinbase and then they have custodial services for enterprise level investors or, and professional investors as well as companies. So I highly suggest Coinbase for, for those who are looking to make a first time purchase. Now, is it pretty easy for anybody anywhere around the U.S. or around the world to get started? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, it's not what it was in 2015. Like 2015, you had to research. 2014, you had to research how to buy Bitcoin. Um, we're not dealing with the Mount Gox days anymore. It's very simple. If you have Cash App, which is one of the most popular um, apps right now, you can buy Bitcoin on Cash App, which is incredible. You can do it through Cash App. You can do it through Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken. There's a plethora of services out there. And the majority of the U.S.-based ones are the safest. So if you're a U.S. citizen, use the U.S.-based ones. That's Coinbase, Kraken. Uh, Gemini is probably the most strict, I would say, because it's based in New York. And all 50 states, I believe, now are up and running on Coinbase and Gemini. So that's the easiest way to do it. So how, you know, if, if someone buys a Bitcoin and then they sell it, how is that taxed? You know, what kind of type of income is that? Yeah, it's a great question. Currently, as it stands, and this could change, you know, two months from now, but you're subject to tap capital gains on that. So just like any other investment stock or something like that, if you hold Bitcoin for more than a year, it'll get taxed as uh, capital gains for long term. If you hold it for less than a year, it's going to be short term capital gains. So take that into consideration for your overall strategy. If you're looking to purchase 
And so, you know, timing these cycles, timing the having cycles, take that into consideration. Say you're looking to sell for a year from now. Well, you're going to make a purchase at some point this month. So you can anticipate minimizing your tax on that. So you're looking to capitalize on long-term capital gains as opposed to the short term. Well, what comes to my mind is that, you know, being taxed as capital, you know, in the area of capital gains, this these type of assets would be great for retirement accounts. Yes. So there's a lot of services that popped up over the past few years. Bitcoin IRA is a fantastic one, but self-directed IRAs exist currently too, and they are legal. It is a little bit complicated to set up. Services like Bitcoin IRA make it a little bit easier, but essentially you're absolutely right. You can take an existing 401k, an existing IRA, or just contribute new funds and purchase Bitcoin in, in that tax deferred or tax free environment. So for example, I have a Roth IRA with Bitcoin in it. That's one of the best plays that you can make in Bitcoin because you've paid the taxes on it already. You have Bitcoin exposure in this Roth bucket. And as we believe crypto will expand and, and appreciate in value, you're going to be tax free at it. So there's a lot of services out there for direct Bitcoin exposure and some of the other currencies are offered as well. Got it. And if somebody just has or self-directed in their retirement account, maybe they just have like a Fidelity or E-Trade or some account for typical stocks, is there any way to get access to these products through their traditional institutional brokerage account? Yeah, it's a great question too. So as it stands currently, there's one reputable service out there that gives you exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and a number of other currencies out there. Big player in the space, Grayscale. So the ticker is GBTC for the Bitcoin fund that they have. And you know, I, I don't know exactly how it works as in terms of price action and how they correlate the price of Bitcoin to their ticker symbol, but GBTC is a way to get exposure to the Bitcoin market. So currently I think it's trading at like nine, $9, $10, something like that. It's not the cheapest way to get exposure. There is a 2% fee on top of it. But if you have no other option and you're looking to gain some sort of exposure to Bitcoin or Ethereum, Grayscale offers that, that service. And they're, they're one of the biggest holders of Bitcoin. Being able to have access to GBTC, it seems like the institutionals are on board to get, you know, have access of these products to their clients. You know, how do you see them coming into the space moving forward? What their role may be? Yeah, it's a good question. Fidelity has been wildly supportive of cryptocurrency and more specifically Bitcoin. Um, it's no surprise they've been mining Bitcoin, not in any type of you know competitive way, but they were experimenting with it even up to like three three years ago, something like that, four years ago. But they've since you know they've gone down the rabbit hole themselves. They have a division that's set up for Bitcoin for uh, blockchain technology, and they're offering now a product that's a hundred thousand dollar minimum uh, exposure to Bitcoin. So it's targeting institutional investors, targeting people in that higher tax bracket, income bracket, but they're offering more advanced services. And at some point, I believe that they're going to be working with a, a company to, to spearhead the ETF. But they're, you know, JP Morgan Chase is hiring for blockchain engineers. 
Wells Fargo. If all you have to do is look on Indeed and you can see where the trends are going, the trends are no doubt going in the direction of blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Big news in 2017 was Jamie Dimon calling uh, Bitcoin a scam, dropped the price within seconds uh, of that uh, tweet or article, whatever it was. But now you've got Chase Bank hiring blockchain engineers. Like they, they're no longer fighting it. They may not be jumping on the boat in the bandwagon right away, but at some point they're going to be offering services. They're going to be offering custody, which is actually interesting because over this past month or so, there was some clarity in the banking, U.S. banking system, uh, basically giving the green light for banks to be open to offering custody services for crypto. I don't think we're going to see that in a, in a large capacity anytime soon, but you look to see companies like Fidelity taking uh, a leap of faith on that. Because you see uh, like Cash App and you know these different apps that are available out there where people could have a much faster access to Bitcoin. And then on the other side, you see these institutions coming into the space. How do you see them, you know, working together or integrating and what the market looks like in the future? Yeah, so you'll probably have some collaboration like PayPal is rumored to be offering cryptocurrency services very soon. Um, and that's that's exactly the payment rail that we're looking for. PayPal obviously is connections with Venmo and Venmo is wildly popular, even more so than Cash App. You've got products like Zelle too, which is a Chase company, I believe, and that's the payment rail that's going to be even easier to onboard to Chase customers. So yeah, I think something that I alluded to earlier that, you know, people in the millennial age are using their cell phones to pay people back and forth. It's not going to be this gigantic change and shift of direction for people. They're used to it. And I think companies will eventually embrace it and banks will eventually embrace it as well. Now, beyond Bitcoin, I, I've noticed through like a site coin market cap that there's definitely a couple thousand of these other tokens out there. Well, what role do they have in the crypto market? Yeah, um, so they're popularly called altcoins. So right now, anything other than a Bitcoin is considered an altcoin. And there's some, you know, arguments to be made that Ethereum is not an altcoin. We can get into that after, but yeah, you're absolutely right. There's probably 3,000 other cryptocurrencies out there in existence, and they do different things. Most of them are complete in other scams, or the teams have just walked away, or it's an abandoned project, and they're kind of just floating in space, and they have a market cap because people are trading it, uh, hoping that someday they'll go up in value. Um, there are, however, probably under 100 projects out there with legitimate teams, legitimate companies running them, motivated founders, excited communities, and they're trying to solve problems. And some of them could be, you know, Chuck E. Cheese type projects where there's a token that's not really necessary, but it's still being traded. You know, in the beginning of the ICO craze, it was essentially venture uh, investing, but instead of equity in a project, you got instant liquidity with uh, you know a highly tradable token. That's not really going anywhere, but I think people learned from the big bubble of 2018 when most of the projects went to near zero, and they're more skeptical now. That being said, like I said, there's probably 25, 30 projects out there that are legitimate. They've raised solid amounts of money. They've got you know a good runway. And they're 
producing every month. They're showing uh, progress and they've got a community that's willing to build on top of it. So yeah, you've got projects like Ethereum, which 2014, 2015 really got popular. It's got first mover advantage, smart contracts and additional services like ICO platforms, but also most recently DeFi, just decentralized finance running on top of Ethereum. So these are projects that are not necessarily stores of value like Bitcoin, but they're offering different services and different technology um, but there's also that tradable token associated with it. So are you, a, what some may consider a Bitcoin maximalist, or do you also invest in some of these other altcoins? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> and it's very, it, it's pretty simple. I, I believe in Bitcoin as the core of my portfolio and the core of my kind of worldview in in terms of blockchain and crypto. With that being said, uh, Ethereum is a serious project. It is not a scam. It is real and uh, what they're building is tremendously powerful. It's just very early on. Same arguments that are being made against Ethereum were being made against Bitcoin in the early days and it's a matter of time. But Ethereum is a legitimate project. Some other projects like Polkadot, like Silica, Cardano are interesting. Tezos is interesting. Helium Network, some of these other projects that are floating out there, super unique, genuine community. They, re they did the fundraising in, in a proper manner. They're at least not intentional scams. They, they may eventually be failed projects, but I believe that the founders are at least honest and they're trying to put forth a product and, and build the community around the future technology. So what piece of advice would you leave with people that you've learned from being in this space and buying Bitcoin? Biggest piece of advice is have a plan. So why do you want to get involved in Bitcoin? Answer that question first. Second, figure out when you're going to buy it, how much you're going to buy, and what your game plan is for getting in and getting out. If you don't have that, you're going to end up probably losing money. So come up with a very strict amount of money that you're willing to put in and forget about it. Come up with a very strict amount of money that you're willing to take out at certain points, whether that's a lower than you invested or higher than you invested. If you can stick to that, then you'll be good. Other than that, you're going to run into problems. Um, and, and just keep it simple. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose and don't get greedy. Those are the two things you can do that uh, you, you can control yourself. All the stuff that, you know, when, when the price is rocketing, drops out the window and you, 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 you get all excited in the moment. Huh? Yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, there's people who were involved in that 2017 bull market. They, they all described it in a different way, but it was like, it's part of the market cycle. It's euphoria. And you get that, that rush, that high. And everybody's a genius. Everybody knows it. Every, you know, everybody was you know, a Bitcoiner from day one. And uh, it's addictive. So you, you begin to take profits from one project, move it into another, and then you divert from the plan. When you do that, you're going to end up losing money. So uh, stick to that game plan. Don't invest more than you can afford to lose. Never borrow money to invest into crypto, ever, ever, ever. Don't take out credit cards. Don't mortgage your home. Don't do anything like that. Keep it simple. That's the best advice that I can give. That's great. I think everyone will uh, hopefully take that to heart and follow yeah. that advice. Our, our final question is, what is the biggest thing you've implemented in your life that has increased your net worth? Exposure to Bitcoin back in 2015 and the understanding and, and taking a risk, a calculated risk in the 
future of the financial system. That's what it was. And really understanding and researching deeply where Bitcoin was at that time, where it could go. Yeah, that's that's Bitcoin is it, right? The, the Bitcoin <laughs> buy and hold, baby, right? Buy and hold Bitcoin. Um, that's the biggest lesson. And that's the biggest uh, piece of advice I could give. Buy and hold Bitcoin. If you're going to buy it, plan on holding it for one to two years, minimum, minimum, minimum. If you can hold it for at least one halving cycle, that's the best thing you can do for your potential financial future in that area. I appreciate that. What is the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? Yeah, best way, uh, simplest way is uh, just shoot me an email, bill at bullflaggroup.com. Very simple, get get in touch, uh, shoot me some questions. Uh, I'd be happy to reach out and uh, set up a time to talk, but I love hanging out with the crypto community and happy to answer any questions you have. Well, Bill, I thank you for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Awesome, thank you for having me. Hey everyone, thanks for watching my latest interview. If you like what you saw, please click the subscribe button below to become a member of the Joe Robert community. Be sure to hit the bell to turn on all notifications so you always know when I post a new video. Tell me what you thought about the content in the comments below. I always read them and would love to answer any of your questions. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.